On this episode of Serverless Chats, I speak with Dr. Peter Sparsky about the state of serverless education. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 37. everyone, I'm Jeremy Daly and you're listening to Serverless Chats. This week, I'm chatting with Dr. Peter Sparsky. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So you are the VP of Education and Research at A Cloud Guru. So why don't you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and what uh, A Cloud Guru does? Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. So my background is in computer science. Um, I got a PhD um, about 12 years ago. Um, from Monash University in Australia. Um, I worked as a consultant, uh, working, focusing on cloud projects uh, primarily. Um, and then four years ago, I joined A Cloud Guru and have been with A Cloud Guru ever since. Um, so at A Cloud Guru, we create um, awesome, fun uh, online education. So we help people get skilled up on AWS or Azure or GCP, or just learn cloud-related technologies, kind of in a very fun and engaging and practical way as well. We help people get certified, but also learn, you know, how do you use containers? How do you use Kubernetes? How do you go serverless? How do you do things with best practice in mind? So we kind of focus on making sure that we produce that high quality curated education that anyone can access. That's awesome. All right, so you and I have bumped into each other. Now you're all the way in Australia and I'm over here on the East Coast of the United States and we've bumped into one another in Seattle and uh, at uh, reInvent a couple of times. And every time we get together, we are always talking about serverless education. And I think mm -hmm. last time we were together, we went maybe even way beyond serverless education. And, uh, and, and that's what I kind of want to talk to you about today is just sort of the state of serverless education. And, and we can go a little bit deeper. Um, but one of the things that I think is sort of unique about serverless uh, as opposed to maybe learning even containers or even some of these other cloud concepts is serverless just seems to be such a sort of reworking or a, a sort of re-engineering your own mind to think about these things differently. Mm. So what what are you seeing in terms of maybe the challenges between training people, you know, just on programming languages and some of these other cloud computing uh, sort of concepts versus training people on serverless? Yeah, it's a great question, Jeremy. Look, I hate to use the word paradigm, but it does feel, uh, it is really a paradigm shift uh, because serverless, it feels like this is what cloud was supposed to be all along, right? Uh, you know, you're not kind of dealing with low-level infrastructure concerns. You're not provisioning your service and thinking about memory capacity, but you're thinking at a high level of abstraction. You're thinking in terms of code. You're thinking in terms of functions and services and event-driven architectures. And that's interesting. It's different. And it requires people to really think uh, in new ways. Uh, look, I think... Honestly, the adoption of serverless will hang on education. Mm -hmm. If we do it right, if we can educate people, serverless as a concept, as an idea, will be successful. And I think that's what we're all working towards. I mean, this is what you do nearly every day, right? You educate people on serverless. You blog, you talk, because this is the way we get people to understand. Yeah, so that's actually a really uh, good point about sort of 
education because I think there is an education gap. But mm. before we sort of talk about the education gap, I think from a more maybe structural standpoint, mm. um, one of the things that is really interesting about, I mean, cloud computing in general, uh, and certainly, and, and, and I think you're right, it's hard to draw that distinction between what is serverless and what is just eventually cloud, like what we kind of understand that to be. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking that I watch people struggle trying to figure out, okay, you just, you know, AWS just launched some new feature that has now made something else that, you know, some other workaround that I was using in the past has made that obsolete. And I think that you have this speed of innovation in the cloud. And it, it's not just AWS, it's Google and it's uh, Azure and it's Alibaba and it's uh, mm. Tencent. I mean, all of these cloud providers are just going through now and releasing all of these really cool new features. So how does the average human that doesn't read, you know, 800 articles a week like I try to do. Um, how does how, how do they uh, you know stay up to date with this stuff? You know, it is actually very difficult. It's very hard because the pace of innovation, especially in cloud computing, like you said, is incredible. Right? Um, it's so funny. Um, we actually do a weekly show, like a roundup, um, at a cloud guru, covering everything mm -hmm. that has happened in AWS or Azure for that week. Right? And we always have material to talk about because there's always something new. So, yeah, you have to have a trusted source. You have to you know, watch a show like AWS this week or read yeah. a roundup, a blog, something, because it is so hard to you know, keep up with everything. And look, for us, it's a full-time job, right? We, all, yeah. we just have to stay up to date and then hopefully we can share what we've learned and what's important with everybody else. But yeah, it's a challenge. And I don't blame you if you, know, you miss a few things and you know, um, it's just too quick. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, and it goes beyond that too, right? If, if you think about saying, okay, well, great, now they've released Lambda Destinations, or now there's yeah. the HTTP API, or there's these other uh, little things that they do. I mean, the Lambda Destinations really changed probably what the best practice is for uh, dead letter queues with lambda functions, right? Because you mm. get more, you get more context with when you use the the failure, uh, the failure path of a or the failure destination, I guess. So that's the other thing. I, how forget about just knowing what's available, knowing the right ways to use it, or the best practices, or the leading practices. I mean, that's a whole nother sort of thing you have to sort of keep up with. That's it. You know, uh, it's so funny. It, I remember I was writing my book um, and I wrote a chapter on the API gateway. And this was just when API gateway came out. And I remember I finished that chapter. I was so happy. And then literally two days later, I know proxying came out. So now you could proxy requests straight to Lambda. So you no longer you know, have to write velocity templates. And I'm okay, well, let's grab that chapter. Let's do it all over again. And all right had to start from scratch and, you know, come up with that new best practice. And it happens all the time. It's hard. Right. You know, and yeah, this is why, you know, there are you know great people such as yourself who write blogs and talk about best practice. And, you know, we produce content on that as well. We, yeah, I think it's the only way, right? You have to have a source, um, a good source um, of advice. Uh, and yeah, you got to try, you got to try keeping up to date. Like, yeah. what do you do? Like, let me ask you, Jeremy, what do you do to sure. keep up to date? I mean, apart from reading 800 articles a week. <laughs> well, that's basically what yeah. I do. And, I, and, and, and listen, this is the other thing, too, is 
I I don't stay up to date on these things. I mean, I sort of pick and choose sort of some of the things that I want to follow. I mean, uh, you know, there is a lot of innovation that's happening with uh, IAM and some of the cloud map stuff, cloud discovery. Some of yep. that stuff. I honestly, I have not been paying attention much to it uh, other than, you know, watching Ben Kehoe's tweets, right? I mean, yep. that's basically what I've been doing to try to follow along with that because there are so many other things that you sort of have to go deep on. And again, I think that's one of those things with the cloud in general, where as a normal developer, if I'm a developer 20 years ago, I'm learning Java and my mm -hmm. freshman, you know, in my freshman uh, programming class, my first CS class that I take. And then I go on to maybe learning about data structures. And I learn, you know, some of these basic things. I'm learning about allocating memory, which yeah. no modern programming language sort of that you're going to use is, is making you do those things anymore. But like you're going to learn some of those basics. And I think that's that's absolutely great. Um, but you're also coming out of school, and I think a lot of these people I know, just from people I've interviewed, they don't even, they don't know anything about the cloud at all, right? And yeah. and I know some schools have moved to, um, you know, sort of changing that, um, you know, changing that education to maybe learn something like Python as that opening language mm. or that beginner language uh, that they that they don't get as stuck on as as Java, but. But kind of going back to your point is that, you know, you go back, you go to be a developer in 2020 and all of a sudden, not only do you need to know a programming language, you need to know about data structures and you need to know about some of these basic computer science things. But now you need to know how the cloud works and you need to know about distributed computing and you need to know about caching and eventual consistency and all these other things. And, and maybe this is a good time to go back to that point on sort of where those gaps are. Like what are what are kids and I say kids and you and mm. I now we're getting older, right? So we can refer to college students as kids. Uh, what are they learning uh, that's preparing them for sort of this cloud economy that we're going into? I think that is actually a really good point. And, you know, there are a lot of people coming out of colleges and universities who are not exactly prepared for the industry and the expectations of the industry. And, you know, they kind of have to ramp up on cloud really quickly. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. And I just want to say that, look, you know, this stuff is hard. Honestly, it, it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to know. And I don't want anyone to feel discouraged. Just because they don't know something right now, it doesn't mean that it cannot be learned, right? You know, we all started from nothing. We were all beginners once. It's all doable. It's all possible. You just have to go and spend a little bit of time, you know, watching courses, reading books, going online, finding blogs to really upskill if you're missing kind of some of those skills. But with universities and colleges in particular, you know, there is that question, you know, what are they teaching? Are they relevant? Uh, you know, are people getting the right skills for the industry? Um, and if not, then where do people go to uh, to get those skills? Right, and then you've got things like code camps too, mm. right? And I and I've seen a lot of um, I've seen a lot of people that I've interviewed, some people that have gone to code camps, and and I think there's value there too. I mean, I I really like the people who have gotten a CS degree and then went to a code camp. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I I do like that mix of people. Um, but but what else? I mean, you know, especially for for young people coming out of college um, or people looking to change careers i mean is that are code camps really the the answer you think to those things look it's it's a tough one right um I, I, you can definitely see some benefit with code camps there definitely is because you do get that kind of quick deep dive into programming um, or computing or cloud computing 
but then there needs to be kind of this ongoing program uh, for people mm-hmm. to continuously skill up because it really isn't enough uh, to spend a month for three months uh, kind of deep diving into something and then you won't become an expert, basically. You need to have that practical right. hands-on experience and you need to continuously learn. You need to continuously stay up to date. And really, honestly, it applies to all of us, right? Because we, you know, I spent eight years at a university, but I have to stay up to date as well, right? Everything moves so quickly that continuous education is really key to uh, continuous career growth. Right. And you know what's the other interesting thing is that you kind of started saying that you know when you know we were at university, we learned Java and we went we learned memory allocation. But what happened was uh, you used to kind of you were born, right? You went to school, you went to college or university, and then you had a job, right? And you had mm-hmm. a job from twenty five to sixty, awesome one thing. And then 65 onwards, you go back to retirement, back to play. But things are now different. So an average American will now have 15 different jobs um, in his or her lifetime. So that's three years per job. Imagine that. And you have to continuously stay learning. It's a lot. It's it's. It's heaps, right? So you have to continuously stay up to date. You have to learn. You have to get that next kind of job or progression in your career. And in our industry especially, if in three years you stop learning, you go out of date, right? You won't get that next promotion. Three years is all it takes if you stop learning to really kind of start going backwards. So being able to continuously learn and figure things out and practice is really key to, you know, being successful. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, I think um, I think you actually make a really good point about the you know continuing education. I mean, obviously, because I, I can tell you right now, five years ago when Lambda first came out and I started playing around with Lambda, um, as soon as you started mixing it with SQS and with API Gateway and then with you know SNS and all these other tools that started coming up, I mean, mm. I I felt like a beginner again, right? I'm like I, I've been doing this for a very very long time, and I and I felt pretty good about being able to build web applications. And I started working with AWS in 2009, um, you know, so I'm like a cloud grandpa at this point. I feel like, but essentially, <laughs> I, I was able, you know, I got to the point where I was able to build pretty good applications in the cloud. Uh, and then serverless came along and it changed everything and made me feel like a beginner again. Um, but I guess maybe one of the questions I have is, because I think if if somebody's listening to this and they are building stuff in the cloud, they're going to say, oh yeah, you know, we need to know the cloud, we need to learn all these things in the cloud and so forth. Um, but are there are there people who don't? You know, I mean, there are a vast majority of companies who are not using the cloud um, for anything significant at this point, right? I mean, obviously the the cloud uh, the cloud market is pretty big, but the on prem market is you know probably dwarfs it, right? That's so right. So yeah. are you know so are there are there still re, you know for the people who want to hold out, um, is it? I mean, I don't think it's a wise choice, but I mean, you still need people to work on mainframes, right? Look, that's true, but I think cloud is inevitable. You know, it's the future of computing. Uh, so, yeah, like like you said, you know, there are a lot of companies still kind of in that beginner phase. Um, they're still looking at cloud. They're still trying to figure out: is it for us? Should we migrate? How does it work? But really, I think it's inevitable. And even you know, mainframes they will cease to exist one day, and you know, cloud will be the thing that we all go to. And it doesn't matter whether you're a bank or some other, you know, kind of, 
you know, industry that has existed for decades. It will happen. It's, I don't think there's a choice, right? And what's interesting there, serverless, I think, is the future of cloud computing as well. Right. This is why it's, I, I think, important to really kind of understand that progression and know that if you are moving onto a cloud, right, onto a cloud provider, what are the serverless options? How do they work? When do I use them? Because if you're moving, right, does it make sense to just lift and shift or should you re-architect for the cloud environment and really, you know, take advantage of the power um, that it offers? So those are, you know, a lot of questions and they are hard questions. And, you know, that's where education again comes in because you have to really clearly understand what a cloud provider is, what are the features that you get, what are the trade-offs, you know, cost, security, compliance, governance. Those are all questions of education. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I think you should definitely learn cloud. I just wanted to make sure that I said, you know, people who people who don't want to learn, you know, I'll give them a, I'll give them a little bit out. But I think I think absolutely it is it is just the way things are going to be. And and not mm. only uh, you know, not only the lessons learned in the cloud, um, you know, or, or I guess the public cloud, but I think a lot of that is going to eventually translate into private clouds as well, right? I mean, I think that just the way that, you know, that Alibaba is doing it or the way that uh, AWS is doing it, that their best practices are going to become the best practices, whether it's on-prem or in a, in a public cloud anyways. Yeah, completely agree there, right? You'll have your private clouds, public clouds, hybrids, but right. once you learn, you know, how a public cloud works. Why can't you transfer your knowledge and your skills to the way a private cloud from the same provider works, for example? Right. You know, you have a look at Azure Stacks, for example, um, or Outpost, right? You can have mm -hmm. a little AWS center in your own kind of data center, right? That's kind of cool. And so it's awesome that you can transfer your skills there um, backwards and forwards. So, all right. So let's talk about serverless in general um, for a bit, because I think that people approach serverless we talked about this a, a couple of minutes ago where it is a completely different paradigm shift if you want to call it that or mind shift or whatever we want to call it it is certainly different right people need to start thinking asynchronously they need to start thinking more along the lines of distributed systems you know whether or not we i had this debate the other day with somebody about is it a microservice is it a monolith i mean all these sort of things like i'm not even sure that really matters anymore i'm not sure you can define a serverless application as any one of these things. I mean, it's a little bit SOA, it's a little bit, you know, microservices, some people like nano services and things like that. So uh, it's just, it is certainly a different way of thinking. So how does somebody who, maybe they have a little cloud, a little cloud experience, maybe they, you know, have done some stuff with EC2, maybe they've even, you know, ventured into containers, for example. Um, what's the first step though, if you are new to serverless? I think like the first step, as with really any technology, is to get your hands dirty, right? This is what I would, you know, tell someone who was new to serverless. Create a Lambda function or an Azure function or, you know, go to GCP, create something, deploy it, run it, see how it works, right? You have to get that initial kind of burst of adrenaline and enjoyment. You have to get something like working, activating in the cloud, right? Once you've done that, start building on that a little bit. You know, add a timer, 
make it work, make your function run, I don't know, on a scheduled event, integrate it with another service like SQS or SNS to send you an email. So kind of start building that rudimentary architecture, just little by little, just to get that feel, that experience for the power. And suddenly you realize that, hey, I've done this and I mm -hmm. didn't need to provision a virtual machine or I, need, I didn't need to create a Docker file. It kind of just like code, right? It's code and I've glued a few things together and it is now working and it's scaling and it's giving me results. And then I think really what you should do is try to build something a little bit more meaningful. So, you know, Go mm -hmm. find a tutorial, go find a course, something that will actually get you to build a system, right? So right. you can maybe build an online resume or you can build, I don't know, like a, a really small CMS or something like that, right? But do it practically. And so yeah. then you can start kind of composing functions together. You can start gluing services together. You'll start using infrastructure as code because you have to, right? You're not going to be deploying functions manually by hand for too long. That's just going to get crazy and out of control. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you have to learn IAM if you are in AWS and you'll be like, okay, how do I do authentication and authorization? Custom authorizes. And so things will start slotting into place, but you really need to continuously do things with your own hands. Right. Um, so what's interesting, for example, is we publish a bunch of courses on serverless, but all of those all of those courses are practical. So you kind of follow the instructor and you do things as that instructor does, right? So right. we try to stay away from pure theory because while theory is good, it doesn't really give you that kind of hands-on experience that you can then apply right. when you have to build something in production or for your company or you know, your startup. Yeah, I agree. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't click until you yeah. actually sort of see that work. And so, so you mentioned, you know, the courses that a cloud guru does. And, um, obviously, uh, Yen Trey has done a bunch of courses. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now Ant Stanley has just launched a new training platform, I think. And there's some other stuff going on. So, there's obviously a market for training. Uh, and I, I question, is that because the cloud providers aren't doing a good enough job? Look, I think it goes to the issue we discussed early, right? Cloud is so vast. It's so big. There are so many things happening. Just look at Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. I was actually trying to learn containers, and that was like a beginning. I was like, wow, how do I start? What is all this container stuff and orchestration, and how does monitoring work? Mm -hmm. It's just so large, and then you multiply it by all the cloud providers. You know, there needs to be kind of that layer of education. So yeah, it's a very interesting space. It moves quickly. And so people obviously look for, you know, interesting, engaging education um, from others that they can consume. Yeah. And that's what kind of we try to focus on, right? Really kind of interesting and engaging content that you can learn, that you can practically then try out yourself and do. And that will actually help you in your day-to-day -day job. Like it has to be applicable because we're all so super busy, mm -hmm. right? When you learn what you learn has to then be useful for you um, later on. Yeah, I agree. I, and, I, and I think that I've seen, especially over the last uh, couple of months, uh, I know Azure has been uh, putting quite a bit of uh, energy into this. And I know that AWS has grown their developer advocate team and they're trying to produce more content, doing more series, they, you know, doing videos and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I love it. I love the fact that they're producing all that information. But I also feel like 
when you get some of this uh, material directly from the source, right? So when it's AWS telling you, hey, here's how you do this. It's use AWS SAM, do this, do, you know, and, and, and it kind of, uh, it lays out their vision, which I think is is good. I think you know the 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 sample serverless app that they released a couple of months ago was really interesting. Of course, it was obviously using all their services and 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 doing it exactly the way that they would do it. And I think that's very very helpful. Um, but I also think it's it's good to get that you know sort of third party perspective. You know, it's sort of what I try to do. Um, you know, with with the podcast here too, is to talk to people from different clouds, and I know we do a lot of AWS stuff, but at the same time, um, getting different perspectives and seeing how other people are sort of accomplishing things, I think is, uh, uh, is, is just helpful, especially depending on how certain people learn. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, no, no single cloud provider can address all of the needs in education. It is just impossible, right? It's too large, it's too broad. And, you know, we, uh, for example, our, uh, you know, training architects, they are all professionals, right? They all mm -hmm. come from the industry and they've all had hands-on experience and that's what they're teaching, right? They are sharing the experience that they have had. And that's interesting, right? That's like, that's, I, I love learning like that. I want to learn from somebody who has actually done it right. and who could tell me, hey, just be careful. There's like danger lies, there's a dragon here and that dragon will swallow yes. you if you, you know, make the steps. So you have to go left instead of going right. That's that's interesting. That's kind of what you know professional education should be about. It should be helpful. But yeah, look, I do love what AWS does. Uh, they have awesome people. They create awesome content, and you know the more the merrier. Like it's great for everyone, I think. And you do as well. Like the content that you create is awesome. It's so fun. It's so engaging. So no wonder people come to you and follow you and watch what you do. Well, I appreciate that, but I would recommend, um, you know, some other training courses. I write blog <laughs> posts that hopefully, uh, you know, make a point here or there. But anyways, so one of the other things, though, I think that we see quite a bit is you get organizations now starting to adopt serverless. And uh, it's great to have some of these one-off courses here and there that uh, an individual can take. But really, how do you how do you scale that? I mean, how do you learn at scale? You know, that is a key question that people come to us um, and ask all the time because it is hard, right? First of all, how do you start? Where do you start? Where do you go once you've done a course? Like there needs to be a program, a systematic approach to really learning at an organization. And at least, you know, from our perspective, we always recommend you know, starting off with certifications. I think if you are an organization kind of trying to get into cloud, trying to kind of adopt and use AWS or Azure or GCP effectively, you have to create that common language, a baseline for everybody in the team that you can then build on uh, as you go ahead. So, you know, you and I, we know that cloud, it's a disruptive technology. Uh, some people mm -hmm. refer to it as kind of that discontinuous innovation. Um, in other words, it is that new technology that can solve an existing enterprise need in a new way. However, you know, it does pose challenges. How do you adopt it in an enterprise? How do you bring people on board? How do you educate them? How do you show best practice and do it all at scale? And so to be successful, you really need to hit a critical mass in terms of adoption and understanding of what cloud is in an enterprise. Uh, if you take a look at the adoption lifecycle, it typically consists of five segments. 
So you have your innovators, then you have your early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And I think this was originally proposed by Everett Rogers uh, a few decades back. Uh, or we have Simon Wadley, you know, he talks about pioneers, yep. settlers, town planners in terms of how to think about organizational structure to support long-term innovation. You know, you have your pioneers who come up with crazy ideas, settlers take those ideas and flesh them out, make them real, and then town planners figure out how to scale them. Mm-hmm. And as you go through that innovation life cycle, uh, the most difficult step is usually the transition between early adopters and the early majority. And so to be successful, you need to create a bandwagon effect in which enough momentum uh, builds up for the technology to become a standard. And now to do that, you really need to have 10% of the population embrace that technology or embrace mm-hmm. cloud right, in our example and become committed agents. And so having 10% of committed agents in the population is enough to create that bandwagon effect and create a hockey stick adoption of the technology. The thing is, if you don't achieve that, you will see early adopters become disenfranchised and that's where you kind of see that attrition of talent. Yeah, you go from your peak of inflated expectations, oh my God, cloud is amazing, we are gonna do great things, to that trough of disillusionment. disillusionment. (laughs) That's it, yeah, and by the way, you know, this isn't my idea, this has been, you know, talked about a lot by others like Simon Wadley, Drew Furman, who is um, SVP of partnerships at A Cloud Guru, speaks about this beautifully, so please have him on and he will tell you about this in great (laughs) detail, he's fantastic. Um, but to drive that adoption and achieve that bandwagon effect, you have to create a cloud culture, right? So you have to create a culture of continuous learning. And I think to do that, you need to start by building that common language, which can be created by you know, getting people certified, getting people kind of understanding kind of the basics, getting the baseline, mm-hmm. um, and that will help to create that organizational fluency, right? It will give people an understanding of what they know and what they don't know and help them to begin speaking on the same terms, really. And from there, you can kind of build that momentum with people learning more about cloud. You can structure a program. You can kind of help them go from the beginner stages to kind of that expert guru phase level um, that they want to get to. Sorry, that was a very long-winded kind of explanation. <laughs> no, it was perfect. I mean, and 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 it's funny. I mean, uh, you again mentioning certification. Uh, you know, for a very long time, I was sort of on the fence with certification because mm. it was one of those things where if you go out and you kind of do the work, you know, uh, you learn you're learning this stuff, and the certification, yeah, it's sort of a stamp of approval. And and this was early on, right? This is earlier on uh, with AWS when they first launched their certifications programs, and I don't think there were a lot of job opportunities necessarily for people saying, oh, well, you need to have this AWS certification, you need to have this other certification. Um, but I think what I've come to realize realize over uh, over time is one, like you said, this common language for certification, I think is extremely important within an organization. Um, But it also is a really good way for you to figure out um, what you don't know, right? They say there's like three kinds of learning is the, the stuff you know, you know, the stuff you know, you don't know, and then the stuff you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> That's right, um, yeah. And the, the thing with cloud is it's just so vast. Like you said, there are a lot of things that you don't know that you don't know, right? So um, having, you know, taking one of those tests, even if it's just a practice exam, um, to show where those gaps are in your cloud learning, I think that's a, I think that's a really powerful 
argument for at least taking a certification course, whether you go through with it or not, um, I think it's uh, it, it'll at least fill those knowledge gaps for you. Look, I agree. And I think there are different advantages for individuals versus organizations. Sure. So for an individual, like I'm completely with you, right? It is awesome for figuring out where your gaps are, what you really know and what you don't know. And I'll tell you a quick story. So I, at one time, decided to get certified and do free certifications in one week. <laughs> so I decided to get the free associate certifications for AWS, the solutions architect, developer, and CSOPs, right? So I'm a developer. I come from a developer background. And I was like, ah, should be a piece of cake. You know, I'll just watch our courses. I'll be ready. I'll do practice exam. I'll go in. And so I went in and I did the free certifications, uh, two days kind of uh, with a two-day two day gap between each one. Mm -hmm. And I scored the best on the developer exam because, you know, it was yep. kind of DynamoDB and Lambda and all the cool stuff that we love and talk about all the time. And then I scored poorly. Well, I still passed, but I scored the lowest on the CSOPs exam. And I realized that, hey, I actually don't really understand or know very well some of the sysadmin sides of AWS. And I'm like, I was making mental notes in the exam. I was like, okay, okay, I need to look up this. Yeah. And I'm not sure about this, so I need to look it up as well. And then I need to go and really refresh this particular line. This was, it was eye-opening. Like, I had enough skills to pass, but I was like, wow, okay, I need to get back in and really kind of continue to learn, learn, learn. And I think another benefit of doing a certification is that it kind of forces you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. So even with a developer exam, you have to go and you have to try Elastic Beanstalk. And yeah, maybe you won't use it because we're all serverless, yeah. but it's good to know what it is and how it works and why it's there and like when is a good case for it. And then I had to do like ECS and you know deploy a container and use ECR, the container registry. And I was like, wow, I normally would <laughs> never touch it, but my God, now I know how to you know, deploy a container and I know how Fargate right. will scale it and I know some of the properties. So it gives me a much more holistic kind of understanding and perspective about cloud and the kind of the entirety of the experience. And then if we go back quickly to organizations, you know, like we said, and I know I'll get into a lot of trouble at work for, this, for saying this, so... <laughs> You know, maybe we should cut this out, but I don't <laughs> think that certifications are a goal into themselves, right? The right. goal is really to create that organizational fluency. It's to give people an understanding of what they know and don't know and to begin speaking on the same terms. And at the same time, I think they are a great yardstick for measuring the overall cloud fluency of an organization, right? You can actually see how mature it is by mm -hmm. looking at how people are certified, how many, at what level, is it the associate level, is it the professional level? So there's kind of a bit of an indicator there as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that you you made some really great points in there. I mean, especially if you've ever had to use like ECS or you know deploy containers, things like that. That should be the argument for why you would use serverless because you wouldn't want to have to do those things. Right? Exactly right. Um, I was like, wow, that was fun, but my god, I want to go back to my function. I just want to focus on the code, and I don't want to care about provisioning any more EC2 instances. Well, luckily there is Fargate. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. All right. So let's let's move past, you know, just, you know, maybe serverless in general and, and just talk about uh, education, um, I guess, education in general. So this is a conversation that you and I have had where uh, I think the value of going to college, and this is maybe going to get way off the rails for some people, <laughs> but the value of going to college and learning, you know, getting a computer science degree, those sort of things, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in a very practical degree. Um, but I think there's also a tremendous amount of value in technical degrees. And by that, I mean, electricians or dental hygienists yes. or all those things, that yes. technical education, hands-on experience, um, as opposed to taking a bunch of, you know, general education classes and, and learning about, um, you know, the history of Western thought to 1600 or something like that, you know, um, some of these more general classes. And not that there's not value in those, but I think that especially for people who are maybe past college uh, and they they want to change careers, they want to learn something new, they want to um, you know become a professional at something else. I mean maybe they want to become a plumber or, or a, 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 you know some other type of technician or or maybe they want to get into computers and they want to do some programming or something like that. Um, you know I don't think colleges are fitting the bill for a lot of those really technical hands-on things that we need um, that's probably going to end up being the future of a, a lot of what we do. You know, so where do you see sort of the future of education going in general? Jeremy, I think uh, that is a great question. And I think the future of education um, will be very different. And I think this applies to all types of schooling whether it's primary, secondary, K for 12, tertiary, kind of university, college level, vocational education, or kind of the professional ongoing adult education. Uh, I think there are going to be a number of areas uh, that will really kind of change um, in the way education is delivered, um, how students are approached and what is done. And let's talk about it in a second. But I think traditional educational organizations will really need to adopt and move quickly because if they don't, they will fall behind and they will find it harder, much harder to compete for students in the coming decades. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, top of my head, I think if you want to succeed in education in the future, you have to do this, right? Number one, you have to prioritize the student and focus on the student experience. I think we can say safely that a lot of educational organizations don't really do that well, and we can do much better, all of us, right, as an industry. We need to go and start cre creating curated and personalized education for each individual. Let's say, you know, Jeremy Daly comes into, you know, my school and wants to learn something. Why can't I make an assessment of Jeremy's skills and create a personalized curated path just for Jeremy? Why is everybody learning the same thing? Right. You know, not accounting for the person's strengths and weaknesses. Maybe Jeremy is awesome at math, but he needs more help with, you know, physics. So why can't we change our curriculum and deliver it in a way that will really help Jeremy versus Peter who needs, you know, a different kind of help? I think next, you know, it's the deconstruction of the value chain. I think, honestly, some of the top tier universities, they have a bit of a monopoly on education or, you know, that's how at least people perceive it. And I think yeah. we need to break it down. I think we can really democratize education. And it doesn't matter whether you are in US or Australia or India or China, you should have access to great high quality education 
you know, regardless. And it should be affordable. You should be able to do it and have a meaningful, successful life. So this is what we're really trying to achieve here. Um, Subscription-based learning, you know, that basically talks about having this ongoing access to a high-quality resource that you can always step into, right? You know, we spoke about, you know, free use for a new job all the time. So you need to have access to a place where you can go and consistently find best practice um, and help. Uh, Just-in-time options, you know, being able to consume education from your mobile phone when you are busy, maybe you are on a train or a bus and you want to kind of look something up, you should have a resource to do that. And I think another major thing is that educational organizations, they need to work with businesses, right? They need to really curate kind of education and make sure that it's delivered um, for what the industry needs. It has to be relevant to the job market and to what companies and organizations expect. And then, of course, lastly, it's that focus on quality and currency. You know, I spent eight years at a university, right? So I spent many, many years, and I did love it, right? I love doing computer science. I, I honestly did not want to get out. But I know that a lot of what I learned was out of date. As much as I loved it, right. it really, it set, look, it set me up for research. I could have stayed and I could have done, you know, a lot of academic research, but it really didn't equip me for kind of life in the industry, and then I had to really quickly skill up. So being able to focus on that quality and currency and match the expectations of the industry, you know, we have to all contribute to that. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to get done. There's a lot to get done for all of us, I think. So you went, you, you talked about a lot of different things and I was taking notes as you were saying these because I'm like, yep, 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 yep. I have all these points. <laughs> I mean, one thing to know of out-of-date information even the rules of beer pong in college have seemed to change, which <laughs> oh, is really no, weird. Oh no! Really? Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I know. I I I, w- I went to a wedding and I was I was thrown. It was an after party for a wedding, but I was I was thrown by these these change in rules. Jeremy, but, you're but a bit seriously, too though, that's, the, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I will play old school next time okay, we're together. Okay. Um, okay. But the but you made some really good points, and one of the the points you made was about personalizing the educational experience. Now I can't tell you how much I have sort of been like just beating the drum on this because my wife is a uh, third grade teacher and they piloted a program at her school a couple of years back where every student had a little tablet and they would take their math tests on the tablet. And then what it would do is it would give my wife on her computer an immediate tally of which questions people were having, or which questions the kids were having trouble with. Um, and so she could see, okay, they're having problems, you know, whatever it was, multiplying fractions mm-hmm. or something like that, or, or some concept that they were having trouble with. And then she would know as a result of that, that she could teach you know, she could sort of review the things that were the weaknesses for the majority of the kids. But that only goes so far. I mean, you're still got kids who understand that. Maybe some other kids have weaknesses on something else. Um, the ability for these systems now, and this probably ties back to serverless, I would say, <laughs> um, is the ability of the scale, the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, I guess, the capabilities of, of the cloud for, for you to build these sort of uh, machine learning te- uh, technologies and the ability for you to hone in on what it is that somebody doesn't understand. Um, and then even sort of what I was saying about, you know, that different perspective, like maybe, you know, student A 
is a visual learner. Maybe student B is more of a, you know, is more of a reading or hands-on learner or whatever. And, and if there is a way that you see which types of education, which types of content they respond better to, where their weaknesses are, and can feed that information to them so that you strengthen, strengthen them on those individual pieces. I mean, that is, that's huge, right? That is, to me, the future of education. That is not something that you're going to do sitting in a lecture hall with 300 kids for a general education class. Um, the other thing you mentioned, too, about this idea of sort of, I guess, quality versus or quality and currency. I mean, if you go to a university now, especially in the United States, I know it's different in other countries, but you are walking out with a degree and likely $50,000 in student yeah. loan debt, right? Yeah. And for a couple hundred dollars, you can get a subscription to A Cloud Guru for the year or LinkedIn Learning or any of these other online training platforms that are out there. Um, you know, probably A Cloud Guru. That's probably the <laughs> one you you, you want to go to. But the um but honestly, I learned a lot of stuff in college. I know I did. I mean, of course, this was 20 some odd years ago, but when I got out of college, it wasn't until I started reading blogs and watching videos and getting hands-on and doing that stuff that I that I actually use most of what I know today. Um, and so this idea of being able to constantly feed education to people uh, in, in a way that doesn't put them into debt for the rest of their life. I mean, and not that college isn't an experience that maybe you have to have, but I think for a, a, a lot of people, that, that access to this constant education is just absolutely game changing and, and you're going to learn more in a in a six hour course on you know on, on a cloud guru or on one of these other training platforms um then you might learn an entire semester um you know in a college course that you're paying thousands of dollars for so yeah i do think that's really really interesting and can i just say uh, um, I, jeremy i just want yeah, to go add ahead. to that yeah i completely agree with everything you said and i think that's going to be what makes education effective in the future it's that curated personalized education and like you know you spoke about a cloud Guru, we have full-time training architects, instructors, who what they do every day, right, is they create content. And whenever anything changes, they update it, right? So there's this constant. Right. So when you go to the platform, you know that what you're getting is the latest version. And you're getting mm -hmm. kind of that latest best practice. So suddenly, you know, what you are learning in a lecture hall right? It doesn't really match what you could be learning online because that content is much more up to date. So that's kind of interesting, um, an interesting aspect as well. Yeah, that currency and the quality. Yeah, yeah because we can, we can continuously iterate on it. You know, I think that universities do have an important function that cannot be done with just an online delivery of education. And that element is really that, it's going to sound harsh, but it's babysitting, right? Because, you know, just after you finish school, right, there's still a little bit of time for a lot of people to mature, right? They need to go through that maturation phase. And going to university, going to college allows people to do that, right? It allows them to build social connections. It allows them to learn how to work in a team, um, maybe better than they did at school. So it gives them that opportunity uh, to mature before they go into the industry. And, you know, as much as I love online education, and I think it is the future, there is that element that still needs to be solved, that social element. Um, but I think, you know, we will figure things out. Maybe it will be some kind of like blended learning um, where you do get that up-to-date curated 
you know, delivery of education online. And then there's an additional element um, where you go and you socialize with your peers. So, yeah, we'll see how all of that pans out. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, and, and you mentioned, too, this idea of sort of tying, um, you know, universities or training to the job market. I mean, that that is one of those things that's if you're a large corporation and, and you're and you're looking to hire developers, or you're looking to hire whatever it is, you know, you have specific needs, you have things that you want these people to know. Um, I think that there are a lot of overlaps uh, between most corporations in terms of, and, and again, not just corporations, I mean, these are small businesses, these are startups, these are other companies that are going to have the same type of needs. Um, that information has to get back down to the people who are creating the educational materials. Um, and I don't think I don't think a lot of colleges want to hear that. I know there are some partnerships. I think AWS is doing some partnership with universities and trying to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, create curriculum for them and things like that. And and I think that's I think that's a great start. But I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be. Like you said, there's a there's a ton of work um, uh, that's left to be done. And and just from a just from a if you're already in a job, um, if your company is not giving you resources to go and learn, like to get continuing education, you know, whether it's a subscription or or something like that, or they're doing regular trainings or hackathons or something that they're giving you some time to keep up to date you're doing your company a disservice right i mean you have to keep your you have to keep your employees learning cuz that's the other great thing too is just motivating them to stay in their job to be like oh i got to learn about you know i don't know event bridge today or something like that and that was kind of cool and i learned all these new things and maybe yeah. there's something we can do that integrates that that'll make our company better and our product better and deliver better value to our customers yeah and frankly it's a business risk for the company as well Right. You want right. to have your people be, you know, as knowledgeable as possible to have expertise to know what's available and how to use things and what is actual best practice, because, you know, you have competition. Right. And that competition is trying to do what you do better and faster and cheaper. And they are working hard at it. So if you're not giving your people a chance to learn and figure out kind of what is that next thing, you're really doing yeah. your business a big disservice. And you know what's interesting? I think some companies think that, hey, if I give our staff education, right, they will learn, they'll get certified, they'll get awesome, and then they will leave. Right? And yeah, sure, it, it could be a risk. But I think there's a bigger, bigger, much bigger risk to have your staff kind of without that education, not give them the opportunity right. to learn, not give them the opportunity to lift your entire company, to lift your entire organization. Um, with, those, yeah. with those new skills. It's, it's massive. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So let's, let's maybe close this off with um, some advice for learners. So we talked about how to get started with serverless early on, but maybe just different, you know, or just general advice for, for people looking for the, you know, the type of stuff that uh, a cloud guru produces. Yeah. Uh, look, here's what I would do, right? If you are wanting to get certified, that's kind of your goal. So here's how you could study. If you are a complete beginner coming in, you know, go to a cloud guru, do a certification course, watch the entire course, follow along, do everything that the instructor does, you know, all the practical labs, read the white papers, go through all the suggested blog posts and kind of resources, just do as much as you can, right? Then do a practice exam 
and see how you have fed, see where your gaps are, because like, you know, we have practice exams that can help you identify, hey, maybe my VPC knowledge isn't really good, so I need to kind of mm -hmm. double down on that. So that's kind of, it's really good if you don't have that much background. If you are very experienced, right? So let's say, Jeremy, you want to go get certified, get that professional level certification. I would do it the other way. I would actually take a practice exam first, right? I would use mm -hmm. that to identify my gaps, right? Hey, I'm great at, you know, storage and I understand S3 and security, but I need a little bit of extra help with, I don't know, subnets and routing tables. And then I would yeah. kind of focus on that area because frankly, you know, unless you have heaps of free time, uh, we need to kind of be very efficient um, with what we do and what we study. So yeah, I would use that practice exam to really help me figure out the areas, the gaps that I have, and then go and double down on them. Then I could do the practice exam again and kind of figure out, okay, is there anything else that I need to know or am I ready for the exam? So these are the two kinds of different strategies and you know, they work relatively well for different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. um, if you just want to learn serverless, then like I said before, go do something practically, deploy a function, hook something together, you know, use SNS, SQS, you know, send an email, do something, right? Then get a course and build like a bigger system. Continue building, continue doing things practically and hands-on and then share. Oh yeah, I, I find that, you know, the best companies that kind of create that cloud culture, they, those companies create awesome internal communities to share to help people share what they've learned, right? To get people, you know, contributing blog posts and um, ideas and suggestions. And so, so, you know, go into the community, tweet, you know, just create, you know, on GitHub, create a gist of what you've learned and share that around. And that's, that's awesome. It's very, you know, gives you a lot of satisfaction and actually kind of promotes that knowledge um, in your brain as well. So just go and do it. Yeah, and actually, I, I totally agree with you on on sharing. I mean, that's one of those things where I know for me, when I first started doing some blog posts that I was, you know, I basically would write something down and I'd be like, hmm, wait a minute, is that right? And then I would do a bunch of research to make sure yeah. that what I was saying was right. And then from there, you you learn more, right? You learn more by kind of writing that stuff and, and sharing it and, and, and putting it out there. And um, and if you write a good, you know, if you write a good post about serverless, you know, send it to me and I, I'm i I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, amplify that the best I can in the Off by None newsletter, um, you know, and and, uh, and share that with people. But I love it. I, mean, I think Jeremy, the... just so, like what you said is spot on, like if you can clearly articulate and explain a concept to somebody else, then you have really understood that idea yourself. Right. Right. That's how you test, mm -hmm. right? So if you can, yeah, in a few sentences explain something to somebody who doesn't know what that is, then yeah, you understood, you learned, you you know what it is now. Um, and that's how you can really check. So sharing, creating kind of your own knowledge and sharing that is key to really validating that you have learned um, that material. Yeah. And I think one of the other things you were sort of getting to the point of with um, with sort of, you know, if depending on what you're coming into, you know, uh, or if you're getting certified, like sort of what your I guess what your goal is. Right. So, I mean, I think when you're when you're going out or when you're trying to educate yourself on something, you should really pick that goal. Right. And then sort of target mm -hmm. content for that goal. That's it. You have to have a goal. Yeah. I could like it, it drives you right. A goal. If you have something 
in front of you and you need to achieve it. That's important. And yeah, certification is great, by the way. If you don't have a cert, it's a cool experience. But, you know, come up with a project. Do something fun. Like, uh, That's true. Go and side build. projects are always side great. Side project, yeah, exactly. Go on GitHub. You can contribute to open source. Or maybe you just want to build a game. Or maybe you want to build, uh, I don't know, like a little platform yourself. Because once you start building, you'll be learning. And it will push you to do more, more, and more. And then, yeah, you can share with us, and you know, we'd be happy to learn from you. Like that's 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 great. That's why people have GitHub repos. That's why they create all these right. projects. That's why you do. That's what that's what I do. It's very effective. Totally agree. So uh, one last thing. So a Cloud Guru just recently acquired uh, Linux Academy. So what's yes. that all about? Yeah, so look, we are joining forces, A Cloud Guru and uh, Linux Academy. Um, uh, I think it's, well, it is great. Uh, there's going to be a lot of great content for you, whether you want to learn, you know, AWS or Azure or GCP or Linux, or you want to go into Kubernetes and containers. You'll basically, you know, we're trying to kind of bring best of both worlds together. Um, into one. So yeah, watch the space. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that will come out. Um, not giving any dates, but I know our <laughs> teams are working very hard. Um, so yeah, watch the space. Yeah, well, there's great content on both on both platforms, so it'll be it'll be really interesting to see those all merge together. That's it. So, that's it. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Well, anyways, listen, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, you know rant about uh, education <laughs> with me, uh, and you know go off the rails about colleges and universities. Um, and but seriously, I mean, you you are um, you know you're a serverless hero. You have done a ton of great work for the community. Uh, you have a book and, and there's some other things. So uh, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about some of the other things you do, how can they do that? Uh, look, my Twitter, LinkedIn, anybody can connect. Please connect. Um, let's talk. If you have any questions about cloud education generally, serverless, please get in touch. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, and yeah, you can find me at various conferences and events throughout the year as well. And hopefully, Jeremy will get to hang out very soon uh, at a summit or an event. Uh, so yeah, please connect. And yeah, happy to talk to, to you, to anyone um, at any time. Awesome. All right. Well, I will get all of that context stuff in the show notes. Thanks again, Peter. Thank you, Jeremy. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Dr. Peter Sparsky for being my guest this week. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 37. For more serverless chats, be sure you subscribe and rate the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast apps. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you're interested in serverless and want to discover all the great new articles, use cases, and latest innovations from the serverless community, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.